Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Recorded live. Hello and welcome to the Virtualization and Cloud Security Podcast, episode number 172. My name is Edward Helletke, a.k.a. Will, just about anywhere you want to look. And I've written several books on virtualization, virtualization security architectures, and I write for TVP Strategy as a principal analyst. With me is Mike Foley, who is a senior technical architect, right? Yep. Um, that's good enough for me. For VSphere Security. Yes. For yes. VMware VSphere Security, and you're part of the technical marketing team. Yes. And with vSphere 6.5, there's been a lot of changes, but one of the more interesting ones is uh, the VMware Integrated Containers is now a 1.0 and available for anybody that has vSphere 6.5. That's correct. And recently I was asked a question by some other people. Is like there was a Docker attack that became known called the Run-C attack or the Docker Run-Run attack. And what this attack did was require you, would allow you to actually run outside of the Docker container. So you're on the, running on the container host. So you're you're running you're running on the the Linux system that is running Docker the the Docker instance. Yeah, if you were running a Docker container, this would allow you to escape the container. It was pretty serious. It was packed. So we've gone of we've gone from we've gone from VM escape to Docker escape. Or just container escape in general. I mean, container escape. This, yeah. This, yeah. And Yikes. the interesting thing is is that this actually is a valid attack because. You, if you had an arbitrary script or did things in the right order, you could drop an arbitrary script somewhere. That arbitrary script would actually allow you to run as the with inside the container host, not the container. This is pretty serious stuff. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's been patched, so if you don't have the latest release of Docker or if you're not using the latest release of container technologies, please get it. It has yeah, the, the patch for for this. the CV the CVE number is CVE dash twenty sixteen dash nine nine six two. Thank you. Yes, that's the CVE value. Please read it and please patch. Now this came to my attention through another means, and one of the companies that I I get briefings from occasionally said, well. One way to fix this is to use SE Linux, and they're absolutely right. If you had a mandatory access control system, which effectively sandboxed the container with strong access controls, this would be impossible. This is a nice thing about sandboxes. Basically, you whitelist what should have access and deny all else. There's several mm -hmm. technologies that do this. But then I got to thinking, how many people actually know how to run SC Linux well? 
Yeah, I mean, I haven't played with SE Linux in, in a dog's age, and it was, back then, just unbelievably difficult to set up, configure, and then maintain the... And that's the key, is the maintenance. Right. And I then, mean, and I actually... I only have one system, no, two systems in my whole Linux suite of, of envir production environments that actually has SE Linux enabled, full bore. It runs a very, two very specific applications where the SE Linux controls that I have to reinstate every time I patch the system mm -hmm. has been scripted because I got the original controls and I keep that up to date. Right. Yet, if for every other system, any other generic use system or any other system I have, SC Linux is in what I call permissive mode, which means it's actually gathering data, but it's not acting on it. So if I wanted to turn it on, I could, but I'd have to actually go through everything and say, is that known, good, bad, whatever? Do I want that? Do I not want that? It's painful at best. And that's yeah, just one system. And and that and that kind of goes back to that whole thing around if if security is really hard to do, people won't do it. Mm -mm. Right? I know I many mean, companies right now that the first thing they do is part of their install scripts is put SC Linux in permissive mode. SC Linux comes on all modern versions of Linux. Yes. It's stock install. And it's enabled by default. Most companies turn around and change that enablement to permissive. They don't disable it because if they disabled it, they would violate their security policy. But if they put it to permissive, it effectively turns it off. Right. Right. Which is allows useless. Them, allows them to pass the audit. <laughs> allows them to pass the audit. So, and then I, I went one step further, Mike, and I started thinking about, you know, how would I keep this up to date? And the things I do keep it up to date for, it's incredibly painful. How Thank so? Thank God someone went through the effort to actually write the script to do it. How so? As someone who hasn't uh, played around with SE Linux in forever, um, I'd be curious to hear your experiences with dealing with it. Well, for example, I do. I have a um, a own cloud instance. This is one of the one of the machines I do it for because own cloud for me is a replacement for iCloud. I sync my iPhones to it and everything, and nothing leaves my control. I don't trust Apple, so I do it for that. So just inside of a virtual machine, own cloud actually went through, and somebody in their documentation went through and said, "These are the things you need to set up to make sure." Own cloud is running fine with SC Linux. They've done the heavy lifting. You've got to set a bunch of Booleans that say the web server has access to this file system or these locations. These locations have the right permissions and so forth. But it's all scripted. And it does change per release. So every time there's a new release out, I have to look at that and say, does my script match it? And, but furthermore, every time I do an upgrade of the operating system and I'll do an upgrade of own cloud, I have to run a script that fixes all those permissions with inside of SC Linux. It may or may not break your application. 
well, if I don't fix the permissions, it will break the application. The application just won't run unless you fix them back up because after you do a reinstall of things, specifically if you patch the web server, it sets everything back to the default. Right. So and the default has very limited control, and I'm actually saying, you know, you need to allow this other directory to have access from the web server. And that's what own cloud requires to run. So my and even if I was doing this in Docker with SD Linux inside the Docker container, I'd still have to do this every time I deployed own cloud. So, so I, I have think, to run this arbitrary script to fix everything. So I think at this stage it's fair to say that while SD Linux does a pretty good job um, making it easy is more challenging. And while SE Linux would have fixed this Docker or mitigated this Docker issue, um, it, it had to be running would first. It would, only, it would have to be running first. So most people aren't going to be running it. Well, and, they don't okay, know they're not running it. Let's just say sure, that. Sure, sure. But you know, it's we're, we're talking configuration issues. But at the end of the day, let's kind of dial it back to the whole security around containers. And yeah. I, you know, virtualization has been out there for quite some time. We, customers run very large production workloads on virtualized environments. That's all fine, yeah. well, and good. Docker and containers, those are really, really cool. You know, spin, spin the propeller on the hat, cool. There's lots of very interesting use cases you can do with them. But my concern is all of those people that go, oh, look, squirrel, and jump to the next thing, usually do that when the technology is very early on in its maturity cycle. And I think what you're seeing now is a whole bunch of folks scrambling to get containers as mature as possible, as quickly as possible. I would give you that. I mean, Docker, if you think about the container world, the Docker world is moving very, very, very fast. Mm -hmm. By the way, it's moving so fast that an attack of today may not work tomorrow, literally. Okay? Correct. That's how fast we're moving in that technology. But when you think about what it's doing and how it's moving, you end up with this really interesting world that you have to consider security from the get-go. You have this opportunity to do everything right. You guys continue security from architecture, but the technology is moving so fast that it's actually hard to secure. So people are starting to bolt on security and stuff like that. This particular attack, it's not the first one against Docker was the first one that actually did a, a well-documented escape. It was closed very, very quickly, just like every other escape we've ever heard of. But at the same time, there's a ways to mitigate it outside of the environment or inside the environment if you have the patience to do that. And that's why some security companies that have come up for containers are literally being a better way of running SE Linux. That's all they do. 
Mm-hmm. They found a way to control SC Linux better at scale. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all are. Right? Mandatory or access controls is the way to defend against the vast majority of attacks that we've ever seen. So you, you, there's a number of different companies out there that do that, and they're good. But they still need to be kept up to date every time you patch something. And that really brings me to the real question about containers. I mean, I have to – I'm writing code. I stick it in a container. That container is picking up artifacts from somewhere else, such as libraries and, by, and servers for, from like something like Docker Hub or some other hub or some other artifact repository. Putting those out in production – on a container host. Now that container host is probably running a very much reduced set of functionality like Photon, Atomic, CoreOS, you name it. There's a number of them out there, right? Mm-hmm. But where do you do, how do you do patching? I mean, I started thinking about, okay, how would I patch this run C problem? I have to actually change out Docker I have to change, or the technology, the open source version, I have to actually update it to get rid of that bug. So I have to update the management side that's actually on each container host. So I have to update the container host with new things. I may have to actually update the, make sure my binaries that are running the containers don't contain this problem in case it shows up again. Therefore, I have to patch or recreate my containers right, by pulling in all the stuff that I may or may not have any control over. So do I patch it or recreate it? And in the container world, everybody says, oh, just recreate. And it just sounds like hand-waving to me because if I'm recreating with the same stuff that's already broken. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So you, want me to, that I've just, you want me to put the flat just, tire back on the car? <laughs> I'm taking. I'm taking something. I already. I already did something. I didn't patch. I put the flat tire back in a brand new wheel well. That's basically what I just did. Right. Car's still going to go bump it and bump it and bump it and bump. So how do you patch containers? You got all these layers now that you didn't have before. I mean, we're so used to patching the OS that we patch the app, we patch the OS, and we're done. And once a quarter, we hopefully patch, I mean, at most once a quarter, you patch your virtualization host and do rolling upgrades, right? We, we've done that for years. Right. But how do I patch my container world? You know, this is something that no one's really thought about because I have all these moving parts above inside the container itself. Well, like I said, that kind of goes back to that whole um, life cycle maturity thing, right? Um, people are people adopt the the latest, greatest, really cool G-Wiz technology, uh, and it's only after someone's doing something that is production worthy uh that security gets involved that operations gets involved 
and they're asking the, the same questions that everyone's been asking whenever a new technology comes in. Okay, how do we secure it? How do we patch it? How do we do this operational thing? How do we do that operational thing? And all of a sudden, we're always we're we're just back to square one yet again with yet another new technology. I just yeah. I, while 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 I can appreciate the technical aspects of it, um, you know, my customers run businesses. Well, and you're right, and most people that are using container apps are running businesses off of them, but they're being very careful. You're not going to be seeing your back-end HR running in there anytime soon. You're not going to see that back-end massive database running in there anytime soon. So mission-critical things that are actually like making money or maintaining money, the financial aspect of it, is slower to move. But I'm actually seeing financial companies move a lot of the front-end to containers today yeah so and but when you think about patching let's just let's go back to patching what how would i today i patch os app and os and then that's it but in a container i have to do more than that let's think about that right. process right you have to generally patch. you don't pat generally you don't yep. patch the container you can but that puts right. you different you, re you reinstantiate a new container from new bits Exactly, and those new bits have to be patched. So I have to, the developers now have to patch the bits. So they patch their part of the application that they're putting in the container, and then they have to pick up the properly patched libraries and servers that they are putting also within the container, which means from where they're picking it up, that needs to be patched as well. Let's let's pick on a simple library. The one that causes us so much havoc is what fifteen attacks against SSL today that we know about. Oh yeah, yeah. At least well-known attacks that are still valid today. They can still be done. Almost every one of them today to everybody using SSL. It's just the nature of the beast. It's a mm -hmm. bad protocol. But 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 Edward, um, I keep getting told that. It, if it, if only it was open source, then we'd have more eyes looking at it. <laughs> but it is open source, and that's the one I'm talking about. Exactly, exactly. The problem is, is that it's people don't realize itself. that. The, well, it, it, the thing is, is crypto is really hard. There's only a limited number of people that really, really can see deep into this and go, oh, no, 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 that's wrong. Exactly. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. It's It's... It's horrible. So we have that problem. So let's just pick on SSL because it's it's a well-known problem hot spot and problem spot for a lot of versions, a lot of companies. If I'm picking up OpenSSL from a from an artifact repository that's outside of my control, how do I know I'm picking up the patched version? Mm-hmm. That's step one. So I have to, as a developer or as the artifact repository administrator, whoever that is, they have to ensure that that's patched properly or we're picking up, the, the links are done so we're getting the right patch version. If you're in control of the repository, you can actually do a lot more and ensure it. There's actually companies out there that will tell you, you know, you picked up OpenSSL, you picked up LibC, you picked up a number of different libraries, and it will tell you, that A, these are open source, and B, they have these CVEs based on version. There's companies out there that do that type of analysis today as well. 
make mm-hmm. use of them, please. You know, this is required for that. So I have to make sure that's patched. And then I pull it all together in my build. I produce the container. And then I have to take that container and put it out in production maybe a thousand times. So do I recreate do I recreate my container host from scratch at that point with the right Docker bits? Or do I just put them back on the container hosts I already have? Now, right. if those container hosts are VMs, recreating those is trivial. If they're bare metal, that's going to take a little bit longer, usually. So most people may choose to patch them, which is where tools like Puppet come into play to ensure that the right version of tools are available. Right. But then you have to write the doc, the Puppet scripts or whatever, Chef scripts or whatever you're using for that to ensure that that happens in a fashion that's rolling instead of like all at once, which breaks the app. This is, now I'm adding more into it, more more stuff into patching than I've ever thought about before. And And what happens if you're, a primarily Windows shop. That means you've got to hire someone who really knows Linux pretty darn well. Or if you're using Docker now on Windows. Right. Well, you still need someone who knows Linux. True. True. Right? <laughs> yeah. Regard that that just introduces a whole other level of huh? of how am I going to do that, right? Well, this is where I think that the tools that we're going to be seeing at RSA RSA conference this year, um, which I may or may not be going to, I think you're going to see a lot of container-based tools. I mean, tools that we're talking about for containers there this year. I really do. Because you, you need to. I mean, we're talking about tools like Aqua and Black Duck and Twistlock and a number of different other ones out there. Um, we have to use them. But how many companies are really using them? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, are, are some of these things just being done by a bunch of DevOps folks or folks that call themselves DevOps folks? And um, are they, you know, following best practices and it's just there's a lot of questions a lot of questions and you know the other thing is is okay fine you know you're doing all the right things you've got some a really good guy or girl who who really knows their stuff and they're keeping everything up to date and so on and so forth okay how are you then turning around and doing governance risk and compliance with all this stuff yeah. How are you how are you providing reports on this stuff? How are you dealing with logging of this stuff? I mean, there's just you know, it, it's it's like jumping into the car without everything actually being totally screwed together yet. Well, yeah, but that's that's the big problem is that we just covered patching in all the little steps that you, some of the steps you may have to be there. It's like, you got to think about these steps. And you actually have to think a lot more. You're not just picking up the OS patch from Red Hat or Microsoft or whoever 
you're not just picking up the application patch from Microsoft Oracle wherever you're going to be getting it. Yep. You have to know that the repository contains the right patch right. for the attack that you're trying to mitigate. So you need to actually pay attention to those attacks. And in this case, you, you may have to recreate your entire app. That, this vulnerability required very specialized code. You had to actually launch code in the right order. All attacks require doing things in the right order. This one was very specific. Right. But if you had an arbitrary script you, that ran as, effectively you could run that script as root that changed permissions on things, that gives you a chance to do a whole mess of things. Right. So in this case, in this specific case, you have to actually look through your code base to see if you have any of those that was injected in your code base that could have been causing a potential problem. Now you have to figure out, are there people that know their code base well enough to even look for that level of attack? And people are going to be listening. It's like, no one can get to my code base. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Talk to Target. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Talk to Target. They had their code base attacked. Talk to Home Depot. They had their code base attacked. Yeah. Right? It's been done. A lot of these people are putting stuff up on GitHub, and you think your IDs are safe on GitHub? Right. That's an open repository. Even if it's private, someone could probably still figure out your login. That's the easy stuff. Um, so, and that's where phishing comes in. That's where doing things from, um, oh, working from a coffee shop is probably a bad idea without proper protections. You now start thinking well outside your your wheelhouse and your comfort zone very, very quickly. Right. Yeah. You and I have been preaching this stuff for years. You know, don't do stupid things. But people do, and they don't consider them to be stupid, and that's absolutely fine. But they still need to be protected. So you need to actually have I mean, ways of an analyzing your code. Yeah, I mean, this this just kind of boils down to, uh, as you mentioned, what we've been talking about for a very long time. And it it uh, it gets down to how are you going to incorporate these new technologies into your processes? And if they are kind of running off on their own and, hey, we're the new cool DevOps guys and we're, we're doing things the way we want to do it and bleep the establishment and everything else, at some point in time, that's just not going to fly. As soon as you're touching PCI data, that's not going to fly. And so you really have to spend a lot of, you know, air quotes, quality time figuring out just what it is, how it is you're going to incorporate this into your business. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying there's a better solution. Uh, all I'm saying is, is that think the problem through. Yes, absolutely. And, I mean, not only think the problem through, you need to 
think about, I mean, you got to think about what you can control within that problem, what you absolutely can do. And then what you can't do, you need to figure out how you're going to get access to that and control of that. I mean, right. when we talked about patching of these, these containerized apps or cloud-native apps, as many people put them, we're talking about recreating a lot of them. Well, with this particular bug and, and CVE that we mentioned earlier, you have to actually make sure a, a number of different things are in order before you actually recreate it to roll out fresh. How much time is that going to take? And during right. that time, are you at risk? Right. Right? We think everything's about moving quickly, but in some cases, it may not be all, we're not, we don't need to worry about that. We're not going to worry about that until like five, five sprints down the road. It's like, uh, probably you should worry about it a little sooner than that. You know. You would hope. You would hope. This one, an easy patch. I mean, this is actually a patch to the container house. You fix the Docker bits that work. You enable SE Linux properly. That would work. But that's the container host, not the app. Right? So, so do you see, you know, um, to kind of bring this up to, I mean, we've talked about where things are. Let's kind of switch it up a little bit to where things are going. Do you personally see something like v, uh, VMware, uh, uh, vSphere integrated containers dealing with some of this? Or just I would hope being, so. Or, or, or even just being another layer of defense in depth. Well, VMware Integrated Containers is really about managing containers differently than so that VMware can manage the containers the way they want to. It's not a security tool yet. It's mainly just about managing I, the containers. I think that depends. And here's why. If if we can spin up a VM with a container as fast as you can spin up a container or in a reasonably close time frame, then every container is essentially a VM. And now I can apply the existing security policies and tools that I have today, whether it be NSX or so, so on and so forth, uh, to isolate and lock down access, um, I, can, I do see that as another layer of defense in depth. Obviously, you're going to have, it's not going to absolve you from uh, doing the right thing within the container and within the container's uh, host OS, but it does allow you that ability to get your hands around it from an infrastructure level. So the True, but I, I always have that. The container hosts today, the vast majority of container hosts today are running inside of virtual machines. You see container hosts running inside of, of Amazon all day long. They running VMs. Right. You see them running in, a, in other cloud services, infrastructure as a service. They're running as virtual machines. The container is not replacing the virtual machine. The virtual machine is still there. It's just moving the container host into being a virtual machine. So now that virtual machine does a thousand containers. The next virtual machine does another thousand containers, and so forth. Eventually, that's, I scale out of what that virtual machine will handle, and I just start up a new one. 
that's 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 one implementation detail from what little I know of of Vic. That I can run a VM with a whole bunch of containers, or I can run a whole bunch of containers as v, as single VMs. Exactly, and Vic allows you is effectively saying I run containers as VMs. However, most security, if you start looking at containers seriously, which I've been doing because it's kind of what I need to do, the security of the container, all the security tools of the container, other containers into the security tools, into the container, into the into the container host. So it's not one container, one VM. It'll be something like three or four containers to one VM. Because I got all these other ones that manage security, which is fine. I have working ones. I have ones I need for SDN. I have ones for storage and things like that. I may have them all in there. That's fine. When you start thinking about that, I still have a container host running more than one container. That container host is a virtual machine. I can see the containers inside of it through Vic, and I know that's a virtual machine. Mm-hmm. Do I get all the benefits of virtual machines? I've always in, in, in the container world of today, except for the ones running bare metal, I've always had that benefit, which has always been a blessing. Mm-hmm. But this was an attack specifically against the container host, which is a VM. Right. So it's actually I broken into the VM and did this attack and escaped from the container to the internal of the VM which is running more than one container, which some of it could be critical stuff like security, things that handle networking. I could start messing with stuff six ways a Sunday. Right. This is bad, right? Well, like, like I said... Now, if I infect was... all my container hosts, I'm just as trounced as if I broke management. Well, like, like I said, this isn't... this Running Vic doesn't absolve you from a broken container host. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And that's, you know, this, is the, this, what is the could... nice, this is the thing we need to think about. What it could absolve you from is the broken container host now being something that can go east-west and start infecting other container hosts. Well, I agree with you, and that's the way it is in every cloud. Anybody running virtual machine, you can put that level of control around it. And you should, <laughs> because it's not within the container itself. You have to put some level of control around it. But this particular attack was against the container host. So effectively what you're doing is this is an OS patch, effectively, in a management patch. For It's basically it's the same as a hypervisor patch. This was a container patch, container host patch. You had to patch all your container hosts. In the container world, are you going to patch your container hosts and reload all your containers? Possibly. Are you going to recreate your container host with the patch, recreate all your containers, and put them out there? Again, possibly. You can do one or the other. It makes no difference. But you had to patch the container host. Right? This is like patching the OS. You had to patch Windows to fix something. You better patch the container host to fix this, or at least just the Docker bits of your container host. To me, that's still considered part of the OS. Other people will say it's not. I don't think it makes a difference. You still have something you've got to patch inside there. And I don't think having, and you should have your proper controls outside of that, whether that's virtual machines, 
security or virtualization security or, or even more cloud security or better control over your networking, you've got to have all those. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's, you're, not, you're adding more onto it instead of less. I mean, going with container doesn't absolve you from actually doing proper network security. Right, because now not only do you have the networking going in and out of the container host, you now have the networking going in between the containers. Inside the container host using either an I, internet process communication primitives, yeah. Right, and which which for a networking security guy must be a, oh, my God, I thought virtualization was bad and I couldn't find anything. Now how do I do this? And I've got 10,000 container hosts, each running yeah. containers. It's, it, it, the, it, it all boils back down to how do I do this at scale? It's one thing to do it onesie twosies or I've only got a couple of hosts in my data center. It's a whole other thing when we're talking tens of thousands of instances running. Exactly. You can only and do that, that with policies. You can only do that with policies, and you can only do that with really good tools, and you can only do that if you have a really good handle on what those that automation. In those pol in, in for example, in this patching case, you need to know that I need the latest version of Docker. Well, every time I install a new version of Docker it changes how Docker is managed, so I have to actually patch my scripts and my management to make up for that version of Docker. So there's people literally saying, I want that version of Docker, only one version of Docker. So now do I, in this case, I could patch run C only, which would you have to, or I have to go to another version of Docker that I may or may not have support for, or I have to ensure that SC Linux is properly installed or use a tool that allows it to be properly installed to mitigate this and other similar attacks. I still have to think about how I'm going to put that in play. How do I patch all that and make sure it works? How much time is that going to take before it's actually live? How much time do I have a, a risk window because I can't put it in tomorrow? Yeah. You and I are just asking questions that every every security guy in the world is going to be asking. <laughs> At least we hope they are. They better be. Right? You, you, not asking now. They will be after this conversation. <laughs> yeah, you call yourself a security person. You're dealing with containers. You've got to be asking these questions. You've got to be part of the development team answering them. I mean, that's the whole idea between of agile. It's get in there and get your hands dirty, roll up the sleeves, and start asking and figure out this answer. Right, right. Otherwise, you're just the chief compliance officer. And this stuff isn't a checkbox anymore. Nor is it easy. I can't just use a a patch manager that I've used every year. i got to patch the repository or make sure I pull from a patched repository, wherever that is, whether it's my artifacts or it's artifacts controlled by a third party. And, and, you know, that brings up a really good uh, segue in, into this whole conversation is all of these new technologies coming in, do they integrate with your existing monitoring and compliance tools, right? 
so if I'm monitoring performance, do I now have to buy yet another tool to monitor the performance of all of these things? It just, um, you know, it's it's one thing to adopt a new technology. It's another thing to put it into production. Absolutely. Now, most tools that I know of that do application performance monitoring have containerized versions of their tools that were run on a container host. They also have agents you can install in each individual container. Or you can actually install the agent on the container host and it'll just take care of it. But then again, I have to install that. I have to make sure it's part of my manifest. It has to be part of that build from the very beginning. This is no longer an afterthought. It has to be there from the beginning. I have to test with it. I have to make sure I get good results. This is this moves all this information, all the stuff that we've always wanted on the front end. Containers is moving it to the front end. Once I have to start playing with it, I'm not getting the data I want. What do I do? Move it to the front end. Now, the nice thing about VIC and other things running on virtualization hosts is that all the tools that work on virtualization still work, right. but it only goes to the container host level. Until those tools are updated, yes. Until you start using agents with inside of the VMs, inside of the either inside of the virtual machines or inside of the containers. Remember, most virtualization performance management tools look at the hypervisor, right? A lot of if you start and look at the container host, you need an agent with inside of the container host, which happens to be a VM, to get container host level application performance management data. So that can split out each container. So it has to be integrated with Docker. Or you have to have the bits inside of each individual container. One of the three. And yeah. the level of detail you get depends on where you are. Right. Yeah. So and this is the same with security monitoring. The level of detail you're going to get is going to depend on where you are. Right. So this is yet another podcast where we're telling folks the world is changing and you have to change with it. Yeah, this is an ops this is an awesome opportunity for the security team. Awesome. We've only had this one time before and that was with virtualization and security folks you screwed it up. Oh yeah, they they totally missed the boat on that. You have a second chance. Grab it with both hands and do it. You're not no, you're innovation, you, your knowledge. Go and become that person. This is, a, right. this is your second chance to do the right thing. Do it. It doesn't right. take that much to learn container, how to deal with containers. You just pick up some code, you start playing with it, and then you start asking questions about how I would integrate my firewall. Well, there, there you go. That's another issue. How would I, you know, do I do it outside the container host? Do I do it within inside the container host? Do I need to stand? What about mandatory access control? And by the way, you know, tools like OpenShift and other Linux tools use something called C groups to keep the, the Chirrut jails separate from each other. That's a kernel level thing. But that doesn't control, and it controls some of the networking. So you got to learn about C groups. You got to learn about SC Linux. You've got to learn these technologies, and this is your perfect opportunity. This is an opportunity for security folks. Grab mm -hmm. it and run. You've got a second chance. <laughs> Take it. You know? I hope you do. How many security, I mean, how many people thought they were going to get a second chance at this? Right. 
and please, please, please don't make everything all about container escape. While that no. is an issue, just like it supposedly is an issue with virtualization, that is not your biggest threat. Your biggest threat is managing all of this at scale and misconfiguration. Absolutely. The only way this particular attack can happen is if you're highly misconfigured. Right. <laughs> That's it. In other words, someone broke into the app, got to root, changed a bunch of stuff, and then the next time you started up the container, it allowed you to run the stuff. And it was a container startup bug. Come on, folks. Most containers get picked up, run, then destroyed. They don't restart. Right. You know, right. This is, the whole pets versus cattle argument. Exactly. This is like people go through, I know companies going 2.5K containers per second. That's how they're running them. They just start oh them up. Gosh. They destroy and start up. Oh, yeah, it's huge. This is where we're going. It's like a service per container. I need that service. Start it up. Two seconds, uh, less than a millisecond later, I got my my data. It shuts it down for the next the next run. Right. This is cool stuff. And that needs more thought about security. Think about that world where you're doing 2.5 containers per second and how are you going to patch them? Because they do need to be patched. We're right. never going to get out of that route. Right. It's just going to happen. So you, I mean, I think the best thing to take out of this, this thing is security folks, you got a second chance, go for it. But I also think the other one is, is you need to seriously think about how you patch your container, anything running in a container. Yeah, because you're not going to patch the container. You're going to throw it away and start over. And and understand that the your your major attack vector is not a technical attack vector. It's admin escape. Yeah, and a misconfiguration. And, mis and mis misconfiguration. Those are your two primary attack vectors. Only after you've uh, uh, gone through and exhausted those, do you start looking into the technical issues? Because the technical issues will get solved really, really fast. But if you have an antiquated method of getting all of this stuff patched and updated, then it doesn't matter how uh, whether or not there's an escape of some sort. If you can't get that patch into production in ASAP, the point is moot. You're, yeah, the point's moot. You're, and that's where you really need to start understanding your application. If you're just a front-end web server not doing anything with financials, you're just providing a service that no one it, it doesn't it doesn't cost anybody money. By the way, there's no such thing as that. Then you maybe have no risk. But if you do have risk, you need to know what it is. You need to know what right. that window is. Right. But you also need to think about patching containers is not just about, oh, I'm going to just patch inside the container. No, that causes configuration drift. You're going to patch the infrastructure service code. You're going to make sure the artifact, you're pull, artifact repository you're pulling from has the right levels of whatever, right? And then you're going to rebuild that container from scratch and, and push it out. And you're going to be doing that within you know, 15 minutes at, at, at the minimum. I mean, I don't know anybody going faster than that, but there are probably some companies. But that's 
that's the life cycle of a, of a build. And this is a build issue. It actually ends up being just that. It doesn't end up being a one-off. Yeah, and by by all means, take take under consideration the impact that this is going to have to not only the security teams, but your day-to-day -day IT operations and the needs that they have. Uh, and for them, it might be, and I'm trying not to do the hard sell, it might be that doing an awful lot of this on Vic might work better for them with little to no impact to the DevOps environment. But, um, if, you have, but if you have to spin whatever up a whole, container, it, it's it basically has, whatever container host you use and whatever management tool you use is going to help you solve a lot of these problems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if and you, you are, need to use, pick a good my, one. Pick one you're comfortable my, with. My point being is, if if you're a a heavily invested VMware shop and your developers are saying, this is where we're going. Um, if you say, well, we're not going to do this on VMware, we're going to do it on something else, well, then the IT people are probably going to have to hire some new people to support you at some point. Oh, yeah. Right? And I would, I would or, think that myself. <laughs> right. Or they might be able to support you with the existing infrastructure using something like Vic and getting the 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 data that you're going to be asking for later. Are we PCI compliant? What's our performance looking like? Uh, do we need to buy new servers? Well, here's the report on performance consumption over the past three months. All of those sorts of things, they will be able to get that sort of information. Whereas if they have to start from ground up fresh, that too adds to your um, your possibility for misconfiguration to happen faster. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, it boils down. I mean, think about it. You've got to leverage what you already have. And as I said, containerization, I mean, we heard this earlier on. Containers are going to replace VMs. Well, they haven't. <laughs> They've added yet another VM that you're running a bunch of containers in. I mean, that's how they do it in Amazon. That's how you do it on VMware. That's how you do it on Hyper-V. That's how you do it on KVM. And that's how you, I mean, that's what OpenShift does. Right. And that's how you do it on on Zen. I mean, but I can pick your hypervisor, pick your cloud. That's how it's being I done. Can, I can start a container three milliseconds faster if I do it bare metal than if I run it in a VM. Eh. <laughs> so? If you're doing... At, and if you're at, do doing two point... At what <laughs> If you're doing 2.5K containers per second in a high-performance computing environment, that may be a requirement. Sure. But we don't know. Right. That's, but that's very rare. But I'm right. just saying but that, is, is that we've introduced, a container, we've introduced container hosts to the stack. We've introduced artifact repositories to our build. And those artifact repositories we may or may not have control over. What do you do? You have to have defense in depth. You have to have a layered right. approach to security. If you're not today, if you're not using SC Linux within your container host, you probably should seriously consider it. And if you're not seriously considering it, look at some of the tools out there that already do it for you and start thinking about them. That's, that's step one. That will mitigate a lot of things like what we're talking about. 
with this particular CVE. The only reason I brought it up is someone came to me and said, well, what do you think about it? And it's just started me down this path of how do I fix this once I find it? Right. Is that part of my quote-unquote agile or DevOps process to fix that easily? Right. That has and I to be, don't that, think it is. That has to be part of that process. And that process has to be uh, aligned with a the business's disaster recovery plan. Yes, absolutely. But I, you start thinking about, let's just think about dev, that DevOps process, not all the ancillary things. There's a lot of little steps and moving parts in there that most people don't see. So where right. do I do this patching? I need to know when I look at something, okay, and something people need to start thinking about is write up that patch policy, or write up how you would solve this problem, and then, and then apply it. it to solving every other problem that is like this. And it's one thing to have the policy. It's a whole other thing to actually go through and do a dry run of it. Yeah, I think I'm being way too practical. Yeah. <laughs> Writing up how you how you would solve this problem. I mean, I mean, think about it. how many things would you have to touch to mitigate this attack? You know, to mitigate it, there's two things you would have to do. You have to patch, run C. That's the first one that will mitigate it. Or you have to en enable SC Linux, which will mitigate any future attempts against, against run C, which we all know that's going to happen now. So you got you got to mitigate the initial. Now you have to mitigate for future. But now I have to touch my code to ensure that nothing's gotten in there that I don't know about, as well. And then I need to look at my artifact repositories to ensure nothing got into there. I personally don't think I'm missing anything in this whole process. But hey, if I am, let me know, please. I'm right. going to write this up. Let me know if I'm missing something in the, that you're doing in your shop that's different that I need to consider this because this is going to benefit everybody. Right. And, you know, like, like I said, this all has to be part of a, a disaster response plan, a security disaster response plan, so that uh, the security teams can mitigate something, help mitigate something like this without having to be reliant on George on the DevOps team because he's the only one who knows how to do it. Yeah, you cannot write. This stuff has to be hot automated. You cannot write. You, no one person can do this at scale. Right. Think at scale. Right. And you may be doing only a couple hundred requests per per minute today. The, I mean, <laughs> in the 90s, we called it getting slash dotted, and you end up being changing from a couple hundred to a couple of million in a day. Yeah. You know, it's a big change. Um, there's now companies doing billions, and that's not an edge case. Yep. So we need to think scale. And I think security needs to think scale. I think patching needs to think scale. Pets versus cattle is not really the issue. However you're doing it, I don't care if they're pets, I don't care if they're cattle. However you're doing it, there is a patch scenario you have to follow for fixing problems of this nature. And that'll just may help you fix problems of other natures too. 
you know, I need to bring in the latest version of OpenSSL, or I need to bring in the latest version of curl to get sub-millisecond timing, or I need to pull in the latest version of X, Y, and Z library to get feature A. How do I do that with with all these new quote-unquote artifact repositories that are out there that I'm doing? I mean, every time I look at a Docker, it's like, oh yeah, you pull up this, you go to go to Docker Hub and pull down Nginx. Great. Is that version okay. of Nginx the right version I need? Right. You know, how many CVEs against that that I've already told people I've solved? Right. This all has to be part of an automated process. Absolutely. And you can look. There's all sorts of tools out there to look at that, and you should use them. Absolutely should. You know, signatures go so far, and everybody's signing their Docker Hub things to ensure that no one messes with them. I love that. you got to check them. But is it still at the right level? We don't know. You need to verify that. And, and if it isn't, you have to create your own. Create your own hub, that one you have control over. That may be the ultimate way to do it, and I bet the big companies are doing just that. You know, the big pharmas, the big financials, I'm guaranteeing they're using their own hubs. You won't see their code out on GitHub. <laughs> right. Um, we're at the end of our hour, and thank you for joining us. This was, I like this conversation. It was, it was, it's interesting because you and I don't often talk about, like, the next gen. Well, we, we, is, we, we do, but we're usually next gen in the in the space that we're comfortable in. This is a, a whole new thing, right? It is, and it, but it's been going on for years now. People have been playing around with containers for years, and the security tools have been rolling out for years. But we now, now that's coming in, I would say containers are mainstream in a lot of companies. I'm not sure everybody's kept up. We need to. We need to start seriously thinking about how how do we deploy across clouds and containers is one way to do that. You know, that's a big deal. Yep. How do we move data around? That's a huge deal. Containers may help me do that. So we need to start thinking outside of our comfort zones. I really would. This is but it's the same old, same old. We said the same thing about virtualization. Now we're saying it about containerization. <laughs> yeah, never ends. No, it doesn't. It's just a new technology that needs needs to be looked at seriously. And we this is the beginning. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me on the Virtualization and Cloud Security Podcast. We'll probably talk about containers and VIC and a whole bunch of things in a lot more depth. Um, at a future call. Sounds good to me. All right. Thank you. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.